0: Hey everybody, John Clare here, and welcome to episode three of the EvoFi Podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today, we'll be talking about cybersecurity and identity protection, a critical part of your financial plan. We're lucky to be joined by Dan Skiles, the president of Shareholders Service Group, for the discussion. Specifically, today we're going to talk about, you know, why is this topic so important? And I know we've heard all the stories on the news of data breaches and and all that good stuff so we're going to delve a little bit more into that with some specific examples that you may not think about Uh, and then figure out what are some ways to protect your information how do you figure out what information is already out there Uh, how do you clean it up so i think we had a good podcast overall and we look forward to sharing that with you a few words uh, about dan first again great guy we're thankful that he was able to fly out from california to be with us today Uh, Dan, as I said, is the president of Shareholder Service Group. He's involved in all aspects of managing the firm. Specifically, his areas of focus include technology, finance, business operations, and strategy. Prior to joining SSG in 2009, Dan was was with the Charles Schwab Corporation, where he had responsibilities with the planning and development of technology solutions for Schwab Institutional. As most of you know, in our industry, Dan is a leading industry expert, who was often quoted at Advisor Trade Publications, and writes a monthly article for Investment Advisor Magazine. Investment Advisor Magazine also recognized Dan in 2014 as one of the 25 most influential people in and around the industry. So again, we're really lucky to have Dan here. Uh, before we get started, just a quick disclaimer about our broadcast as is normal uh, in the EVOFi podcast podcast uh, realm. Uh, before we get started, it's important to note that this podcast is 100% free of any legal, tax, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and maybe a little fun, too. If you need advice in any of those areas tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call or talk to your advisor, and we'll certainly see how we can help. So with that said, we hope you enjoy the EVOFI team with Dan Skiles. Hey, everybody. Welcome to EvoFi Podcast, a finance podcast for humans. With me today, I've got Dan Skiles, president of SSG. I've got Dave O'Brien, CFP, and Lisa Spenick. Well, I want to thank Dan for coming. Dan made a long trip uh, out here. He's in town for an event tonight, and he's a good friend of the firm, and we appreciate you being here.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Uh, So before we kind of get started with the the main gist of the presentation. It's a serious topic. And we here at Evolution, we like to uh, have a little bit of fun too, to to add some levity to the situation. And so I want to kind of go around the table here and see if there's anything on somebody's mind before I pull up a new segment of our podcast that I'll introduce in a second. Does anybody have anything that they're itching to talk about before we dive in?
2: Well, you know, I had all kinds of things that I was going to bring up, but now you said there's a new segment and it's going to be a surprise. So I'm just that's the only thought that I have in my head now, is, is what's that surprise you're about
0: to drop on us, John? And, and I intentionally didn't tell anybody because I didn't, want, I didn't want to spoil the surprise. It's a cowbell. And it doesn't require any preparation, I more, hope. More cowbell. Uh, it's a segment that we're going to call the Evo 5. The Evo 5. And what it is, is five questions for our guests. Not related to the topic, per se, but to give us a little context into the person and I was thinking about Dan, and I was and thinking... And I'm the
1: guinea pig, just to make sure I you get this are. right? Okay. You are. all right, good.
0: And I was thinking about it, and, you know, uh, I'm going to explain myself, but I said, you know, Dan is kind of like the James Brown of finance. And, you know, <laughs> you can't really say that anymore, but I meant the hardest working man in finance, because Dan seems like he's all over the place. And, and uh, again, we're just really thankful to have you here. So, all right, so I'm going to dive into the, uh, to the Evo 5. And so you may recognize some of these questions if you ever watch Inside the Actor Studio or uh, perhaps a reader of Marcel Proust, French novelist. for yeah, the, really losing the audience. audience. I think yep. he
1: stumped me on both those, uh-oh. Anyway, so
0: five questions. Don't overthink it. Dan, what was your first job?
1: Oh, my first job. That's easy, actually. My first job was when I was 12, and I was actually the cleanup boy at the uh, San Diego Village Information Center. So this was down at Mission Bay Park, and I was the guy that picked up the trash. I used to ride my skateboard there, and I made $3.35 an hour.
0: Nice. How old were you?
1: I was 12. That's starting early. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you wanted wanted a tape or a CD, you had to get in there, you know, and get the money.
0: (laughs) All right, next question. What is your favorite word? There's no wrong answers, by the way. Oh, good to know.
1: (laughs) I'm glad family members and children are not here (laughs) um, because they might disagree. Uh, You know, I think my favorite word that's last my life is the word dude. And that certainly helps when you grow up in Southern California. It's just kind of stuck for a long time.
0: Dude. I, I actually like that. I, I used to—they used to call me "dude" because I said it so much. So I can appreciate that. There you go. I'm not from California, but <laughs> I guess it's popular in Ohio too.
1: Hey, you can use it wherever you'd like to.
0: Cool. All right. Now this is this is a little bit more uh, of a thinking question. and Dan's like, oh my god,
2: dude, it's a thinker.
0: What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt if you had the opportunity?
1: Well, if I had the opportunity, not because there's any talent or anything like that, but I would have loved to been a performer of something. You yeah, know, you pick the instrument, you pick the band, maybe even a sport. Uh, but if I was good at it, I would have loved to done, uh, been able to do that. But clearly, that's not happening.
0: That's a good segue to my next question. Actually, Dave looks you're like he's a he has performer to say of podcasts. So you know, you <laughs> don't after have to be good one, at it. After this one, Dan may say never again. All right. Greatest of all time, or as Penny told me, it's the GOAT. I'm not up on the lingo, but it's the GOAT question. Greatest of all time in your mind, and I'll give you a choice, sport, entertainment, or business? What comes to mind for you?
1: Oh, I think of sport. Okay. Yeah, a lot of sports in my family. So I think of, uh, you know, my brother's a baseball guy. Okay. So I think of different uh, baseball situations that we've seen over the years.
0: What about a player, a baseball player that comes to mind, greatest uh, of all time?
1: You know, you got to think of Trevor Hoffman being from San Diego and the closer and coming into Hell's Bells and, uh, you know, he's going to the Hall of Fame this this summer. So uh, lots Great. of, yeah. And, uh, you know, small little fun fact. I have played uh, uh, on the beach with Trevor with the uh, paddle ball. I'm sure you've seen paddle ball. Yeah. Is that uh, like pickleball? It, it's similar. Okay. Similar. But uh, there in La Jolla, I played paddle ball on the beach with Trevor Hoffman in his early
2: career. Wow. And uh, he was good at that as well.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, they seem to always be that way. All right, exactly. if they're good at one thing, it's everything. Exactly.
2: Chico Escuela was a good baseball player too. Did like you just Google that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't
0: just Google it. <laughs> good answer, Dan. All right, so this is the uh, the fun one. We we're starting a name that tune segment, and so and Dave's looking at me like we didn't decide that. Well, but, I thought that was five. Yeah, th- that was four. So this oh, is number five. It's that? There so you go with the numbers we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to do a, a little bit where I'm going to play a few seconds of a song that has the theme of our podcast topic, cybersecurity and identity protection. A lot
2: of, th- a lot of songs about that. And uh, oh, been so
0: let's see here. Let me get this all queued up. Dan, you may have to take off your headphones, but I'm going to play it for you. And I want you to try and guess it. You get, you get extra points if you figure out the artist and the song. You ready? No peeking. who's watching
1: I know the song, and my good friend in San Diego so is, so mad that it's, I'm drawing a blank, uh, it's the science, it's, it's a science song, Close?
0: Close. Close. It sounds the same. It, Thomas it, Dolby?
1: Thomas Dolby, it sounds like that, but it's uh, uh,
2: The bass line's similar to science. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. It
0: all kind of sounded the same. It's actually, does anybody else have a guess before, and you're not allowed, Lisa, because you know the answer. <laughs> no? Okay, Dave?
2: so... Dave? Sometimes it feels like someone's always watching me.
0: Dave O'Brien gets the gold star. Yes, absolutely. That. It is uh, Somebody's Watching Me by... Does anybody know the name?
2: It's not the Gap Band.
0: Rockwell. Rockwell. You know who Rockwell is? He is Didn't they Kennedy Standard Gordy, Oil? Barry Gordy's son from Motown. Oh, not, triv- the,
2: not the Exxon people.
0: No. Okay. Getty. Anyway. Uh, Michael Jackson and Jermaine Jackson sang the chorus, so we'll put that in the podcast a little bit later on for you all to hear. But anyway... It's about somebody's watching me, and you're not safe anywhere because people are watching, which I thought was a great tie-in for the podcast. First of all, I want to thank Dan. He's a good sport, took the top Evo 5 in stride, uh, and we appreciate that. Ah,
2: Well, we did lock the door so we can't get
0: out. That That is true. That is is true.
1: But my first question for you, though, is why is that song your number one on your pod list? That's on your little playlist here.
0: I had to create a Dan Skiles (laughs) pod list for today just so I didn't screw it up and play one of my kids' music songs from Moana or something. <laughs> <clears throat> now, I would have known that, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. So now that we've
2: lost all of our listeners who actually wanted to hear about identity protection...
0: Let's move on. So again, we've got a big event tonight, uh, and Dan was kind enough to come in and, and help us get this podcast down for some of the folks who couldn't attend and, and more. So I'm going to ask kind of a rhetorical question, but we can actually answer it to start off, which is, why is it important? We talk about identity protection, identity theft... Cybercrime, crime, all that good stuff. So at a high level, Dan, we know you see a lot of the stuff in your line of work and have heard the story. So maybe just tee up the topic real quick and then we can maybe get into some of the examples or ways that this happens and then ultimately how we can protect ourselves.
1: Sure. So the reason why this is important because uh, it's continuing to evolve. Uh, the, the threats out there, the attacks, uh, as I like to, to use an analogy, we talked a little about sports, you know, in, in the game of cybersecurity. Uh, there is no fans in the stands. Everybody is on the playing field. Uh, And the reality is that's where the the game is played and you have to be ready for your position, whether you're a client, an advisor, or maybe an industry person. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a position in this this game, in this battle, so to speak, of cybersecurity. And as I mentioned, it's constantly evolving. And so we need to continue to learn from each other. And, And one thing that I'm proud about in our profession is this is one topic that, Everyone is open to sharing information, competitors, advisors, everyone within the profession understands that we all win when we do our best job possible in, in battling with cybersecurity. So that's why I'm thrilled that you're doing this, this podcast because it's all going to help us all and then continue to learn from each other.
0: Sure. Yeah, go ahead. So Dave passed me a note here and I think uh, obviously we, we've done a bio up front and we'll, 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 we'll talk about Dan's career and so forth, but uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about at SSG, some of the things that, that you see, you know, specifically in the financial services world or, or maybe at other places. So maybe we don't have to reveal too much, obviously, of things you see. But give us some samples of things that, you know, people heard about the target breach and the, you know, insert name firm here. But what are some of the other things that aren't maybe as common that people haven't heard about that could be risks to them?
1: Well, so, and I'm happy to to share stories and, and talk about it because, like I said, it helps us all. You know, the fraudsters, as we like to refer to them, um, you know the the people that are trying to take advantage of uh people's identity uh, their money um had figured out years ago that it's it's you know it's not just the banks where the money is it's in brokerage accounts it's in other types of accounts and so because of that they've they've learned how to insert themselves into that process and try to impersonate various individuals whether it's an advisor whether it's a real estate agent it could even be a title agent. We've seen this at our firm where uh, the fraudster is trying to insert themselves in some type of transaction, and, uh, and then that's when they try to take advantage of the situation and, and ultimately steal someone's money. And so that can be done via email. We've even seen it done via phone call uh, and trying to impersonate somebody. Uh, we've seen it, of course, with just simply pure identity theft and requests that, that we receive, and, and the reality is, is they're going to keep trying. And one of the big messages today, I think, is that they're incredibly patient. It's no longer let's give it a week, two weeks, and then we're going to try to do our attack. We've seen situations where it's been months, in some in some cases almost a year, where they've paid attention, followed the conversation, and then picked their time to to do their attack. And so I just think it's important for everyone to realize that it's not like the old days where you could look for misspellings in an email, or you could trust the system, so to speak, because They've figured out ways to insert themselves, as I mentioned, and it's important for all of us to be on our guard to to
2: be able to identify that as soon as possible. So that's scary. <laughs> um, so help people listening. So what do you do about that? Right? I mean, how scared should somebody be? They've got money in their employer's four hundred one k or you know they have a brokerage account, whether it's at SSG or you know Schwab or some place like that how scared should they be and what should they do
1: about that? So, um, I don't mean to scare anybody. I mean, the, the, the reality is with the, you know, 1500 plus advisors that we support, uh, we don't see an attack every day. We don't see an attack every month, but we do see a couple a year. And so, you know, it's not like it's something that it's an epidemic. Although the folks that are targets, you know, are thrilled when we catch it or when they catch it. So the first thing I always tell, uh, when you speak about maybe the end client, right, what are they doing to, to limit their chances of an attack? How do they communicate via email? How is their email set up? So is, with a password is certainly something always very important, but also are they doing dual-factor authentication? So when you log into your Gmail or your Yahoo or whatever the account may be, uh, if it doesn't recognize the IP address coming in, is it sending you a text message with a PIN number so you get in? Or can you just basically get in? Uh, you know, those are some of the things that, that the end client can do. So
2: for the people listening, it's like, does that mean that every time that they go to their iPhone to look at their email or they're on their home computer and they log on to their Gmail, they have to do something different or what? how does that work for the folks?
1: No, so you do set up trusted devices, right? So for my iPhone, for example, maybe an Android device, I let Gmail know or Yahoo know that this is my trusted device if you see this IP address let me in you don't need to send me that text message but i have told it if you see other addresses that you don't recognize that i haven't used in the past that's when you need to send me that text message so that ip address that's in st petersburg russia is probably not you correct correct a funny story i find it helps also with my family there's one situation where um you know i was actually on my way home from work and i got a text message uh on my phone with a gmail login and i said that's not me. What's what's going on? And so the first thing I did was call family members, and sure enough, my son, my 16 year old son, was trying to buy something on on Amazon, <laughs> and it's linked to my Gmail account, and so that's why it. it so it also helped in that family situation. Um, so definitely, those that's a, a good step forward.
2: Because yes, uh, if someone tries to to log in from Russia, that's what it's supposed to catch. So this is catching folks from logging onto your email as you, right? And and then once they log on to your email as you how do they get money out of your 401k or out of your IRA or out of your regular account at whatever institution holds it
1: so the first thing they do is just watch they watch to see who you communicate with because um, they don't know automatically when they get into your email that you have a 401k somewhere or you have a bank account somewhere but they watch
0: they watch your email Correct. they watch the in, in inbox and so forth the Correct. activity
1: yeah they they watch your activity they watch who you communicate with the statements you're receiving and then you know as you begin to to do different steps that's when they figure out oh they have a 401k account at this financial firm oh that this might be our angle to 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 work
2: and are they watching it like actually reading all of your emails that seems like a really boring way to steal money or do <laughs> yeah. they have like automated systems that go and read through hundreds of thousands of people's emails that they've hacked
1: yeah i would expect the latter okay. right i would expect the, the the latter that they have systems that are that are reading the the the, the email uh, with the technology and then, you know, looking at keywords, right? Financial, bank, different, all the brand names, all that good stuff. Um, and so certainly, you know, that's, that's what they're, they're trying to do. And, and then there, they don't actually steal your money through the, the email, but then they use that. They, they start to impersonate you and communicate with these other entities that you're communicating with. And they're really good at it, right? It's not like they send an email and then it sits there in the sent items, they're clearing things out right away, so you could continue to log in yourself and have no idea that they were there, because they, they're very good at covering their tracks.
0: So you mentioned, we talked a little bit about email and the vulnerability, and I think that makes a lot of sense, unfortunately. Are there other vulnerabilities? I mean, is email the, the main way in for folks to understand your, your behaviors and your preferences, or are there other ways that that they're getting access to to information as well?
1: Uh, it's certainly one of the more common ones is, is email, but I, I think it's also important for everyone to understand is in the actual transmission of the money. So for example, when you send a wire request, when you decide to, to wire money to a bank, uh, it's not required for the bank to to review the name on that wire request. They're required to look at the numbers, and if the numbers match on the request, then, then they very well could deposit that money. And so it's important to recognize that that they might be, you might be seeing a first party wire. But it might not be a first-party wire because the name on the bank account does not match. And so this scenario uh, can happen with when you're buying a real estate property. And we certainly have seen this one. I know our colleagues at other firms have seen this too, where they didn't compromise the client's email address, but they compromised the instructions from maybe the title company, company the escrow company. And they've compromised those instructions. So the client thinks they're, they're, they're sending you know, $89,000 for the deposit or, or, or closing the escrow. And unfortunately, in the communication chain, someone adjusted the numbers on that bank account, and so therefore, it, it's not going to where everyone expects it to go. So, so,
0: so how are they going to get the, so they, they get into your email or not, and they change the instructions. So how, how do they get the instructions or the wire instructions changed? Is it over the phone?
1: No. So in that example I just described, they actually compromise the email of somebody else. So maybe it was, in this case, what I'm describing is actually the, the real estate agent's email that was compromised. Mm. And so the, the bad guy was following the communication chain there. And so when the real estate agent, um, they, they, they knew, okay, this is the title company. Mm. And so they, they created their own wire instructions for that title company. So they created their own document. And then they emailed it to the client from the real estate agent. So the client's email address was never hacked.
0: Somebody's was. Somebody's it was, was the, okay. right. It was the other side. But
1: then, right, and, and and they had no reason to believe, the client had no reason to believe mm-hmm. that that was the case, and they did all these steps that I just talked about for their own email. And so unbeknownst to them, they're signing these instructions, giving it to the brokerage firm to send this wire thinking everything's good. And in fact, when you call that client and you confirm the instructions, they say, yes, please go ahead and right. send it, right? right. And they're, so that's why it's the important question for everybody listening is – you have to verbally verify everything. So we can do it all via email, but at the end of the day, when it's time to actually transmit the money, we need to get that title company back on the phone and make sure this is exactly correct and, and accurate. Um, that, that's really your your best stopgap in these situations is to verbally verify throughout the whole
0: food chain. And I know uh, we've had some experience with some clients who have been wiring money back and forth uh, for real estate deals and so forth, and it's a real pain in the behind yeah, you know, to verify all this information and to the point of... It's really frustrating, but I think that's, that's, in some cases, the only way to protect your information and make sure is to go through that process.
1: Absolutely, and remember too, the reason why they like using wires is because once the money gets in their account, they move it quickly. So by the time you figure out that there might be an issue, when someone calls the tile company and says, hey, did you get the money? And they say no. By the time you dig into that, the money could be at five or six other banks by then. And so that, that's part of the challenge is, is yes, it, it might be more cumbersome to get everyone on the phone, But it's worth the time because if you do have an event, if you do have an attack, your chances of getting the money back um, every minute that goes by makes it more challenging.
3: So the takeaway is make sure that whoever you're dealing with, you have both a phone conversation and email each step of the way. Because at any point in in that transaction, somebody can step in. And be you, or be somebody else asking you for things that you think the institution that you're dealing with is asking you, and it's not.
1: Right. That's the risk. And, 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 you know, again, keep in mind that even if the name doesn't match, the money can still be deposited. So that a lot of times the end client, they don't realize that. They think, well, if something doesn't match, if it's the wrong account, it's going to get kicked back. And, and that's not necessarily the case. It could be. There's banks that do do that. But there's other banks that do not. And they just simply you know, process the request based on the account number and the loan. So you're absolutely right. You need to make sure you have that verbal conversation. Uh, and then, you know, for if you're doing a lot of wires, I use the example of the real estate transaction, which is not something that happens every month for someone, right? Unless they're in that that business. But if you're doing, you know, wires to a, a bank account, that's where you stand, set up the standing instructions, right? That's where you establish those standing instructions on a file. You've done that confirmation once. And then once that's in place, then you know, it. you know, unless anything changes on the bank side, which it shouldn't you should be able to rely on that going forward.
0: So let me ask a question. So I think we've talked a little bit about kind of the email part and how they get access and they can instruct banks or other people to, to get money in, into uh, accounts of the bad guys, so to speak, or bad girls, I should say too. you never know, but fraudsters. Yeah. Fraud, fraudsters. Okay. I'm going to start using that. Um, but, but some other examples you know, we hear a lot of people talking about the social security number. And in this case, I didn't hear a lot of that, you know, it had nothing to do with a social security number. maybe an account number, uh, in your experience, are there, are there other vulnerabilities that are being exploited? Like you wouldn't be able to get my social from my email necessarily, at least if you're astute enough to not put it in your emails. But are there other things that you see outside of wire fraud uh, from these fraudsters that, that other vulnerabilities?
1: So certainly, yeah. So when they have a social security number and, and personal identifiable information, that's when they try to impersonate the, the client to open up accounts. That's where they try to use the client's information, whether it's a credit card account, a bank account. It's not very often we see that as a brokerage account. Certainly at my firm, we have an advisor involved because there's a relationship there. Um, but, but that's where they, when that data is compromised, you'll see it in other retail aspects of the relationship for the client. And, and that's why, you know, where you do the credit freeze and those type of things where you, if you know you're not going to be opening up another you know, credit card account, maybe you're not going to be getting a loan anytime soon. That's where those freezes really help. Uh, it's not permanent. You can always lift the freeze, so it just you know, requires some, some pre-planning. Uh, but that's where, the, where your identity's compromised, and, and that's the angle that they try to use. Now, that all being said, uh, they could use that information to try to convince somebody that doesn't know your client to, to do the action. Like we talked about verbally confirming instructions, uh, as we get the client on the phone, if, if all their information has been compromised, it really makes it easier for the fraudster to then further impersonate them. Uh, Because they know all that information. And so that's why everything we can do to keep that out of email, everything we can do to make sure that uh, we've made that information secure, whether it's through our brokerage accounts or bank accounts, all that helps. Mm -hmm. All that helps because you don't want to become an easy target. So if somebody
2: has your social security number and they can open an account in your name, boy, that sounds great. They're going to put money into an account in my (laughs) name. Um, But we know that's so that they can open credit. But there is that type of attack where somebody is actually sending money to you. How do they work?
1: Yeah, so it, we don't see as much as, of those, but, but normally it's to get leverage, right? So when they're sending money to you, it's, 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 there's borrowing somewhere involved, whether it's a margin-type account. Or also, um, it's just to kind of set it up where they could do their, their, their biggest sting, if you will, because they also realize in some respects, checks might clear before they bounce, and so they mm-hmm. kind of get ahead of the game. That's where they might do something you know, over the weekend, Right where they are going to make the assumption or, or hope that that bank's not going to be able to reject that check and there's already money in the account that they put in there so it, it's not zero balance and so that's what they're they're trying to do there it, it's it's the it's the kind of the it, it's a, a adjustment to the credit card scheme interesting right um, and and like I said generally speaking it's, it, we see it over you know, it would be over a weekend um, they understand for example if they open an account in your name at the bank on like a Thursday or Friday and then they try to commit over over the weekend. They're hopeful they'll be ahead of the game as I mentioned before everyone figures out on Monday and Tuesday what's going on. And so therefore, you know, they've gotten their, you know, electronics or other things they purchased. Kind of what you see with the credit card schemes.
0: So so I think some good examples there. So thank you for sharing those. Let's talk a little bit more about the um, some of the things that people can do to protect their information. I know I want to focus a lot on, you know, one, how do they protect their information? How do they remove remove vulnerabilities that may already be out there and some of that more proactive stuff? Um, so what are some of the basic kind of good hygiene things? I've heard you talk about multi-factor authentication or some people may – it's. Two-factor authentication or whatever. Yep. Um, what are some other things that people kind of the basics, the ABCs of what we should be doing?
1: So the, the first thing that I recommend is is turn to to Google and type in your name and different renditions of your name and see what information comes up. Uh, you might be very surprised at what's just in the public domain about you and your family, uh, and 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 how easy it is to learn about you know maybe where you live, what you're doing, all those types of details. And some of that might make you very uncomfortable. For some folks, it's, it's not a big deal. But they just might be surprised, especially, you know, uh, I think of my parents' generation. Um, they think they're very private because they're not online and all those type of things, and it can't be further from the truth. And so they think that they've done enough to protect themselves, but the reality is there's so much information about them out there that it would be relatively easy to impersonate them. So, you know, you can go to the white pages to look at that information. Um, mylife.com is another site to look at um, and, and see what's there. Now, the good news with a lot of these providers, they do give you a means to remove it. If you look into their, their, their policies, there's normally a, a button or, or a guide to show you how to remove information. And that's always very helpful. Uh, the challenge is it can come back. Next thing you know, you, you bought a new property or you had another business transaction that goes into the registry of wherever you live. Next thing you know, that's back on the site. So it, it's certainly an ongoing battle to remove information. And then, of course, you can always hire a firm to do it, too. There's there's companies out there like Abind.com that you can turn to, and they have a, a, a little service you can subscribe to, and they're constantly scanning the web on your behalf. Now, they can't remove everything. Sometimes it requires your involvement, but it certainly does help as well. So it just depends on, on who you are and what you're trying to do.
0: So a couple of thoughts. One is this. I've heard a lot about the MyLife. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it MyLife.net? So w- what exactly is that? Is that a service where they make money by you by cleaning stuff up for you, or is it a like a white pages type uh, approach.
1: So, you know, they, how they make money is, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I that was not a fair question. No, no, but, 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 well, cause you know, I've never subscribed to them, but, yeah. but I will tell you that when I look at it and looked at it in the past, uh, you know, it's, it's, it looks like to me, it's tar- to tied to marketing. You yeah. know, here's databases of information. You're, you're trying to target a certain group. And what they charge for that service, I, I have no idea. But that's what they're trying to do. Just yeah. look at their site. Uh, which is why, you know, you have to request to have your information removed. Yeah. Right? Because for them, if, you know, if I'm trying to target a certain demographic, you know, here in Richmond, yeah, that's where they can really help.
0: It's like the do not call registry for uh, mailings. Exactly.
1: And stuff, right? Exactly.
3: And there are other services that can monitor your, your credit. Like if somebody opens a credit card right. in your name you get an email or a phone call or whatever, however you've set it up to say, this has been opened. If you did this, that's great. If you didn't, I mean, that's really helpful, I think.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's all through the credit bureaus, right? The ones that you, that you see, the, the big ones. Make sure it's coordinated so it's set up with all of them. You know, the other thing that's important too is not only that alert, but all the technology available tied to your credit cards and, and other activity. Like for example, in your bank account, in your credit card, you can set up different alerts Tied to dollar amounts, how a transaction is processed, um you know the the uh, all this information is very, very helpful and i I must tell you there's been situations where I get a text message from Visa, for example and uh and it tells me that something was purchased with my credit card, but my credit card actually wasn't there uh That's very helpful, especially when you might have credit card share between your family. Uh, I will warn you; it's got me in trouble sometimes too. Because um, <laughs> when you call your wife and say, "Hey, uh, did you spend three hundred and something dog? <laughs> that was your birthday present. Yeah. You know that you're getting next week." So, <laughs>
2: thanks, Donna. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so,
1: but it's it's incredibly helpful. And and sometimes I have found actually twice uh, since I've turned this on that I've caught the fraudster before they did. And uh, and that's always a better place to be, right? I mean, we all understand the rules and you know the the limited liability there, but. It's always nice to have that type of control on what's going on.
0: So, so uh, so just a couple of things to review real quick cuz I want to get to some other things. Multi-factor authentication, verbal confirmation, uh, we've talked about uh, alerts, credit alerts, um,
2: freezing your credit.
0: Freezing your credit. What and are then some what are some of the outside
2: companies? Yeah. There's LifeLock, yeah. there's right. abind.com. Where do they fit in? If you've already frozen your credit, if you've got the alerts from your bank and your credit card and you've done multi-factor authentication on your email and maybe other systems. Where do these third-party services fit?
1: Yeah, so I would say if you're very anxious about how much of your information is out there just in the regular public domain, those are the companies you want to hire and you just want them to monitor on a regular basis. I've used them in the past personally. Uh, What's nice about it is, as I mentioned, you can remove this information maybe on on my life, but then it comes back because you did something. Mm -hmm. And they would take care of that for you. Um, that's one of the service they provide. And they also send you a report uh, on a regular basis of showing the work that they've done, which is always nice as well. So if you're concerned to that level, it's a nice thing to have. It's a nice service. It's not very expensive at all. Um, and it's something that gives you nice peace of mind as well.
0: I think, at least I can speak for myself, but you know, whenever we've been part of a credit card hack or a benefits hack, we always get that one year free of uh, LifeLock or it was Experian. And so the monitoring part, and it's always great to get those emails that have green lights on everything. Right. So that's, that's Absolutely. kind of the proactive monitorings that we like to see. Right.
1: And I think for your, your clients, I mean, as I've explained to advisors in the past, you know, your client's personality, you know, the things that they worry about. And, and, you know, I, I have some family members that are very much like that, that, you know, that are always anxious about what's out there in the public domain. And uh, I think about my father-in-law, actually, and, and I shared with him some of these, these sites that are available that he wasn't aware of. And also of a sudden I went to a whole new level with him as far as his son-in-law because of talking about these ideas. And I see the same thing with advisors and your client. You know what your client's worried about. And if you bring their attention to some of these sites that they can subscribe to, or maybe, depending on the relationship, you decide to, to pay for it for them. You know, maybe it's worth it. I, again, it's another part of that conversation, part of that relationship. is very helpful.
0: So one of the things I hear about on the news uh, as part of the marketing message or, or the news from some of these, uh, monitoring companies is the, the dark web. <laughs> can, can you, can you comment on that and what that is? And is that where all this, all these fraudsters live and share stuff in a way that us normal people can't see it? Or what, what can you tell the listeners about the dark web? Uh,
1: so I will, I will say first, I'm not a dark web expert. However, I am just as curious as you are and, and have done a lot of reading on it, um, do the fraudsters live there? They certainly do, but they don't have to, right? Everything we've talked about can be done outside of the dark web. But it's a good, it's an important message. So, for example, uh, the dark web can involve uh, apps that you might have on your phone that are not sanctioned or or, or supported by Apple or or through Google. And so, uh, whenever you're you're compromising your your device, right? Maybe you, you as you unlock the device, as we like to say, you can download some of these interesting apps that might be linked somehow to the, the dark web. And uh, and next thing you know, you've removed a lot of the barriers as it relates to viruses and things that they can do. So uh, I'd be surprised if any of the listeners are actually on the dark web.
0: Uh, not intentionally. Not least, intentionally,
1: right? right? But, but they have to realize, though, that if they get outside the bands of some of these devices we use, uh, you're getting much closer. Now, whether you get there or not, I don't know, but you're getting much closer, and, and that's the risk. And that's why... Uh, you know, for, for 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 my peace of mind, I I never unlock a device. I, I never go outside the bands of the, the virus softwares and those type of things. Because at the end of the day, it's just not worth it. And, and two, I might think I'm a computer genius, but I have to stay a computer genius because mm-hmm. that environment is evolving so fast that as soon as I unlock it, chances are new vulnerabilities are showing up tomorrow and the next day and the next day.
2: So. Two things off of that vulnerabilities. Um, let's say that you haven't jailbreaked your phone, whatever yeah, the past yeah. tense of a jailbreak is. Exactly. Um, you're just using your phone or you're using your computer. So you're using your phone and you download apps from the app store. They're all safe, right?
1: They should be. They, 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 they should be. Uh, if you're downloading from from Apple, I mean that's one of the things you're you're paying for. Now, guaranteed? No. You still have to make decisions.
2: And, and as we've learned, some of them track some information, and so. Mm-hmm. Right, people need to learn to find out what information's being tracked.
1: Right. I mean, I, I joke about the facts, you know, we're, we're all uh, Alexa and all these new devices, right? And I joke about the fact that, you know, you must realize they're listening to everything you say, right? Because how does it know when you call the device? Now, whether it's logging that, all that information, I, I, you know, we can debate that. But you're right. I mean, the, the reality is you might download an a dev- uh, app, that is completely legitimate for what the app does, not realizing, though, that it's tracking your location, that it's tracking a lot of things that you're doing on your phone. And so that's why you can't just blindly say, oh, yeah, let's just go ahead and download this. This is free.
2: So I guess the thing to know there is know what your apps track and know how to turn your security systems on.
1: Right, right. And, and know also that sometimes this is an important point, too, especially for, for, uh, for our clients, is looking at the caller ID on the phone does not mean that's where it's coming from, right? A lot of times we put, we put a comfort in the fact, oh, look at this number. It's, I recognize this number. It's my area code. But that doesn't mean they're calling from your area code. In fact, there's many ways to mask that. We all know. However, unfortunately, we have a lot of people that still put comfort in just simply that caller ID. Yeah.
3: And we have a lot of other controls for our computers, for our Macs, for our PCs, that we really have to be vigilant about um, virus protection, not only using it but making sure it's always updated. And what is interesting is people don't – a lot of people don't know that your cable company typically – well, ours does anyhow – provides free virus protection. And you don't have to go out and buy it if you already have it, and you're paying a lot for cable anyhow. So you can download that virus protection, and you just have to make sure that it gets updated on a regular basis, as well as your applications. You need to make sure that your applications are all updated because a lot of the applications have security um, enhancements in them as viruses and and things are created on a daily basis. So you need to make sure that that is being kept up with on an ongoing basis.
1: It, it's a very important point. There's a good bad news story there when, when we understand I, uh, vulnerability, right? We hear about these every year. Oh, we've just identified this hole in Windows or this issue with the OS system. Uh, the good news is they've identified it. The bad news is they just told the world the whole. And the fraudsters, as we like to call them, as we've talked about in this this podcast, uh, say, oh, let's bet on the fact that there's a number of individuals out there that will not take the patch. And they've shown this over and over. We we had a ransomware attack that started uh, in the fourth quarter, if you remember. It really compromised a lot of computers over in, in Europe, and they were warning us here in the States that it's coming. And the reality is it was targeting some old vulnerabilities in Windows.
0: Mm.
1: And fortunately, on, in the States, most of those computers were updated. And so therefore, it, uh, you know, it did not hit us as bad. But sure enough, the ones that it did hit over in, in Europe, these were computers that hadn't been updated for a while. And so you know, that's, that's the unfortunate thing, is that when they figure out there's a vulnerability, you know, it, it just gives a little bit of the roadmap there. So the important really best practice here is you've got to make sure your, your computer is, is updating on a regular basis, and you've got to know it. You can't just assume because you could turn it off. There could be a connection issue. There could be all sorts of things that cause it. So, so therefore, make it part of your best practice, your time, to look every once in a while, is it updated? Is it showing any updates? And you should be seeing that on a
2: regular basis. So, Dan, what happens if, for instance, someone listening says, you know, I, I think that my computer is updated, and then uh, a window pops up when they're using their computer at home and it's saying, you know, your computer has been compromised, please call this number or please click here? What is that and what should they do?
1: So, uh, the first thing you should do when you see that is sit back in your chair. And think about what were you were doing right before then. What was I doing right before then? And if you were on a website, which is chances are you were, uh, you're. You, you, this is not a legitimate message. And also keep in mind, you want to be careful that when you see that message, it might say "click here to you know to download or to protect your device." That actually might be putting the virus on on your your computer. So you want to take a step back now. The first question, the second question, too, is do you remember what virus software you have on your computer? Is it Norton, you know, these different ones that are, are available? Because that's where the message should come from. And so if you don't recognize if it says like a Windows Type 1 and it just doesn't look the same, that's a big red flag. And, and these messages could be on, you know, I could say this and you might think, oh, okay, well, you know, clearly you're on a, a bad website. We've had you know associates. I think from, a lot of
2: listeners are snickering at this. point. They're probably snickering this
1: point. Yeah. but I will tell you that that I, I uh, I've talked to people and it's been standard websites and they've been surprised that they're on just a real common website, you know, business related website, a search engine related website, and it came up. And and sometimes it's just an advertisement, right? It's not actually putting a virus thing down, but you don't need it, and there's not a problem which is why you have to always know what is the antivirus program I'm running on so, my so computer. So
2: do you click to close it? Do you, you know, shut your question? Wi-Fi down? What, what do you do?
1: So what I like to do when the that happens- stop panicking. Yeah, after you stop panicking, what I like to do is just simply do the, the, the task manager and shut it down from there. I don't want to click on anything on the page, mm-hmm. but just simply use the task manager to remove that program. Uh, and then what I like to do is do a quick scan on the computer with the virus software, make sure nothing actually was compromised.
2: Okay. That's that's good for folks to know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, a couple examples that we've come across, obviously, is the Microsoft one, call us immediately or, you know. Right. Uh, you know, I've gotten a few voicemails from the IRS saying that I'm being sued. The authorities are on their way. Yeah. The local with, authorities. With, with a heavy accent, nothing wrong with that, but clearly for different countries. So those are ones, that obviously, and I've read about don't respond with anger. Just let them go. Right. Don't click on that UPS attachment if you didn't send a UPS package to right. track it. So it's basic stuff, but we get so, you know, entrenched in our daily routine that we, you know, we just want to click and move on. And so sometimes it means taking a break and thinking about it. That's a really good point
1: because a a virus could come through any type of document, right? It's not just PDFs. It's not Word docs. It could be any type of document. So to your point, if you get an attachment, you do have to take a moment and think about, was I looking for this? Was I supposed to get this? You know, even the email address can be compromised. So I I could create an email address it has your name on it, but it didn't come from you. Right. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and so that's why it's important to always think about the properties on it and realize, okay, we've all seen that as well. And, and that's coaching too, to your clients as well. Let them know, Hey, just because my name's on an email address, doesn't mean it came from me.
0: So we're running short on time here. Um, I want to prompt you for some other tips, uh, cause some quick things that, that folks can, uh, can, can do immediately that are quite easy. Um, anything else that we haven't talked about that, that easy to execute?
1: Well, not that we haven't talked about it. I just think it's important to think about all the tools that are already available to you on your, your computers, uh, even on your smartphone, right? You know, make sure it's surprising to me when we come across people that haven't even put the, the data protection on their smartphone. For example, you, know, you need needed code to log in or your fingerprint. Mm. Um, I, I unfortunately know of an advisor that had their smartphone stolen and, and then the fraudster, the bad person, uh, called the advisor, uh, spouse and said, I've got all the contacts. I'm going to start uh, calling your clients and doing awful things unless you give me $1,000. And it was all because he left his phone somewhere. It didn't have any protection on it. And next thing you know, all the contacts were there.
0: I'm surprised he only asked for $1,000. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 The, uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> they were 13. Okay.
1: Fair <laughs> exactly. enough.
0: Fair enough. What about Wi-Fi? You know, we've heard a little bit about Wi-Fi I never use free Wi-Fi or whatever. Any experience or any, anything to share on that?
1: Great question, yeah. So Wi-Fi uh, requires a decision tree as well. So, so I wouldn't ever say never use free Wi-Fi, but I would say think about what you're doing on that free Wi-Fi. As I like to say, you know, if, if I'm going to be on free Wi-Fi, uh, I'm certainly not going to go to any of my brokerage accounts. I'm not going to go to my bank account. I probably won't even check my email. But, I, you know, I might check the weather. I might check sports, those type of things. And then also have to realize, too, do I really know that I'm on the, the true free Wi-Fi network? You know, if I go to Starbucks and it says, you know, Starbucks Wi-Fi, or what if it says free Starbucks Wi-Fi? Mm-hmm. You know, you want to watch out for what we call the man-in-the-middle attack, which is where I go to Starbucks, set up my nifty little computer, and create my own, my own Wi-Fi right there, and I name it free Starbucks Wi-Fi.
0: Yeah, we were at a conference where a guy, uh, I think his name was John Saleo, did that, and he set up a free Wi-Fi and called it the Hyatt Wi-Fi, and he tracked the number of attendees who actually logged into that.
2: Exactly. And
1: exactly. he could see
0: everything they were doing. Everything Everybody raised
2: doing. their hand if you're on the free Wi-Fi.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little tassies. public embarrassment. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. And so now they're monitoring everything you do.
2: So if somebody uh, is at the airport, somebody's at Starbucks, they've got their phone or their iPad, it's free Wi-Fi, what do they do?
1: So, So – if you really do want to do business at Starbucks, if you plan to make that your second office, we're going to have a cup of coffee and you're going to go through what you would normally do in your, your office or your home, I would highly encourage you to, to have a VPN or do not connect to that Starbucks Wi-Fi
2: and connect through your phone. So for those out there who are saying VPNs at TLA and IDK, <laughs> uh, what is a VPN? Virtual. Why, pri- how do I get yeah, thank one? Thank
1: you. Yeah, yeah. A virtual private network. And, uh, and this is where you actually create a secure connection between your device and, and the internet.
2: And, and where do you get one of these?
1: Just go to the, the internet. Just go to, to Google and type in private VPN, and you'll have a number of providers that, that will come up. Um, and And it's a big business. What um,
2: about just using your signal from your cell phone, your 4G? Is that... Not safe, or is that as safe or safer?
1: No, I like that a lot, actually. So, so if, if, you, uh, if you don't want to do the VPN and you want to just simply use the, 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 your phone as the connection point, uh, it's a great solution as well because you're leveraging the security infrastructure of Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile. And, and so that's, 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 that's a positive, right? We're trying to limit someone getting themselves on your network, watching what you're doing. And certainly when you're using those devices or VPNs, VPN, it makes a big difference.
0: All right, cool. So we're short on time here. We just have a few last minutes here. I want to look around the table and see if there's any, anything that we might have missed. Obviously, we couldn't cover everything. We've, we've done a great uh, overview, and Dan, we appreciate that. Is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap today?
1: I Just stay vigilant. You know, Stay vigilant. Keep talking about it. It's really,
2: really
0: important. Anybody else? Good.
2: So for the one who flew the furthest to get to the podcast, Dan, thank you. It's really a pleasure to have you here in RVA.
0: And I just want to remind everybody out there, if you can do us a favor, if you're not already subscribed on iTunes, uh, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you could go out and rate this podcast, it'll help us in the rankings and get the word out to more folks. Uh, If you're not an iTunes person, you can find us on uh, Spotify and also the uh, Google Play uh, store and also at podbean.com, which is where our podcast is host, hosted. You can also reach us on evo 5 podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram as well. So for all of us here at the evo 5 podcast team, we want to thank Dan Skiles for joining us, and we hope to see you all again soon. Thank you.